Welcome, dear listeners. This is Hedda. I'm your host. This is Preference Radio here on KBOO. We have Sonia in the booth helping keep us keep us on the air. We're grateful. Uh, it's John Waters' birthday, actually, yesterday, but uh, give a shout-out to him. That song was Spacer, uh, sort of our theme song, Sheila and B Devotion. Uh, we're... Uh, we're happy to we're happy to bring that that particular music to you as part of the program um, uh, twice a month and sometimes three times a month here in the queer booth slot six to seven Tuesdays we have several programs that uh, take turns in this slot so tune in get some different voices some different ideas uh, every Tuesday night thanks for that um, before we before we get down to our fabulous in-studio guest. I want to mention that there's a, a local Portland activist, uh, Don Tyree, who has been working on a, a, a documentary called I Was a Child Bride. And um, as I understand it in this documentary, uh, what's what's under discussion is that in 48 states, it was until recently 50 and now 48 as, um, as the work is being done, uh, folks, uh, parents can sign off on their children marrying someone at an age below the standard or normal legal minimum age. So if the legal minimum age uh, for marriage in a state is 16, a parent can sign off uh, uh, on that, that child marrying younger, at a younger age than that. And in some states, there's no floor at all. There's no minimum with a, a parental consent. So the documentary is called I Was a Child Bride. Uh, it airs on A&E this Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. So I, six, six Pacific, right. six Pacific, uh, that's on A&E. Uh, I was a child bride, and so um, I'll be watching for that. We have Nastasia Minto in the studio with us. We're so grateful. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you. you you've been to cable before? Uh, I have. I was on Talking Earth. Oh, wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful. Um why don't you introduce yourself to, to to our listeners? Okay. Well, I'm Nastasia Mento. I'm originally from South Georgia, and by that I mean South South Georgia, so not Atlanta, but South Georgia. And um, I've currently been in Portland now for almost two years in September. So uh, your book is Naked. It's just published... Um, Six weeks ago or so, is that right? Two months? February 28th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Eldred Press, some local folks. I haven't heard of them, but uh, I'm excited that they've brought your book out. Um, how did you find working? You know, I'm just talking about Eldred in particular if you don't want to, but I'm always curious about um, the process of getting published, especially a first book when you, when you really have to, um, n- you know, swim new waters, I guess. Yeah, so... I think for me, I had a very different experience from most people, and that's because I was already in the process of self-publishing this. So I was on that road. I had all my pieces together, and I used Indigo to do my editing, and so that's how um, Vinny and I came across each other is because he was working on my design, and I was just so grateful that once we sat down, we talked about the design, and then like a few days later, he just emailed me, and had a long list of, I thought about this and this and that, and maybe Elders Press, you know, we could pick you up and we can work on this since you had done so much already with the book. And like, he just saw everything that I had in it. And I really respected that. And he wanted to pick it up and run with it. And I was like, yes, hmm. yes, yes. And I know that everyone like don't get that opportunity. And so for me, it was just so different and so unique. And he's just been really working with me to push it out, get it out there, get it reviewed. And I really, I just really appreciate them. Really appreciate them. Indigo and um, Eldridge Press. So. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about um, the South, uh, deep South Georgia. What was that like for you? Oh, growing up in the South um, is, is very different, especially from Portland. But, you know, we all know that Um, I was raised by my grandparents and they made life just so much 
easy and like loving and fun. Um, my grandmother and my grandma, grandfather both cooked. They were both ministers. Um, and it was just surrounded by so much love. But then on the other end of that, you know, like what's still going on today, there was a lot of hatred and um, a lot of racism. And me growing up as a child without, or as I feel like without um, my mother or my father due to their habits, um, then I was angry. So I was a very disruptive child. I was always in trouble. Um, I always get suspended. That that was me. And in the South, sometimes I feel like it's very kind of justified because I was that black child. I was that child that was getting in trouble. I was that child that was disrespecting the teacher. I was that child that wasn't going to be anything. And so it's kind of like, oh, well, she's from the projects or she's from that side of the town. So it's already looked at in that way. And granted, it may be like that here too, but I'm not from here. So being in the South for me, um, that's, that's how it was. But then I came along one of my middle school teachers who is still now um, just a great mentor and she was very persistent. And she was like, you are going to be something. I see it in you. I see the passion that you have. I see your creativity. And I'm like, why is this white woman <laughs> hanging around so long? Like, what does she want? And that was the thing, like, what do you want? Because the only white woman I had knew in my life was the woman from Defects. And she would come out to the school and check on us. And so to have someone that was, you know, like very consistent in that way, and it was true and it was pure, that was very different from me. And so, I mean, I think like the South is different and it's different where you go at. I went from South Georgia to live in Asheville, North Carolina, and that's still considered the South, but it's so different. Asheville is like Portland. Um, and then I just moved around, went back to the South from Asheville, and I was like, oh, man, like so close-minded and so in our little bubble and I had experienced life in a different way than most people I live with so now it just felt like I was closing like I couldn't grow there and then I ended up out here mm -hmm. in Portland <laughs> you mentioned that both your grandparents were ministers mm -hmm. um, and there's a, a fair amount of certainly discussion of your grandmother in particular in your poems in Naked. And I guess we should establish that it is actually a book of poetry. Um, so let's, uh, let's, speak to the, let's speak to that first. Um, why poetry? Why is, that the, why is that where you wanted to do the work that you did? Well, as I was speaking about this earlier, I really didn't have any intentions for Naked um, as a book. And I've, I've always written poetry ever since I was young. Like that was, that was my escape. That was my way to get out. That was my way to, you know, vent out and air out my frustration without making everyone else mad or without the teacher saying I needed a counselor. Poetry was my way to get out of that. Um, and so I was super surprised as everyone else when Naked came because I I, that was my first time last year writing this much poetry because I had stopped and I was just working on my ice cream series of like, this is what I'm going to do, a transformational book. And then I started writing all this poetry and it was very vulnerable and I was scared and I was like, I can't be naked. I can't show the world this. People keep this in their journal. This is a journal type thing. And once I started sharing it and I just heard all the people was like, yeah, I've I've had that too. I've witnessed that too. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being open. Like it allowed me to be open too. So I've always written poetry um, in my way that I write it because I know it's not standard. <laughs> so. Hmm. How do you think uh, you were influenced by and are influenced by your grandparents having been ministers? Hmm. I think there's two parts to it of their faith, of them both being ministers, just their faith, that resilience of never giving up. Every time we went from house to shack to projects, from the projects back to shack, and just not knowing when 
you know, if we had money for food or if we had money to pay the light bills, any of that, it was just always the faith part of it. And we would hear our grandma in her bedroom just singing and praying and she would be praying for all of us like she would name our names out and just pray specific prayers for each one of us and for that at first I didn't understand I could not understand like why would you believe in someone you can't see like why would you just give all we're still poor (laughs) we're still black and it's not going to change and people are going to treat us the same way like why but then as I got older I saw like my it just seemed like my grandmother could go in any place and get whatever she wanted and people, and my grandfather as well, like, hey, Mr. Minto, hey, Miss Minto, oh, you need something? We got you. And she'll say, I'll come back and pay you, like, next week. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, and, but she just had, like, that personality about it. She just had that, that very deep faith in her that everything was going to be all right. And I know for me, with moving from place to place and everything that I've been through, I still hold that very true to myself is that I'm going through this right now, but everything is going to be all right. Um, So that's one way that it affected me. But as growing up and especially being queer, it had a totally different effect on me. And, you know, that that was a hard part of being gay and knowing it. Like I knew when I was eight or nine years old, I just knew. But I also knew that I couldn't live my life like this. It wasn't acceptable. Like we we prayed, we read our Bibles in the house. We had to go to church. so I couldn't and I had to hide it and I like hated myself for that for a long time so I'm I'm interested to hear uh, sort of what um, what kind of clarity you had at eight or nine about being queer does that make sense mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah, for me, it was sort of this, um, it, it didn't come together in words or in concrete thoughts for a long time. I probably took 15 years mm-hmm. knowing knowing the whole time, just not having words for it or sort of coherent sense of what it could mean. I think for me, it was a moment of one of my teachers and I just thought, oh, she's so pretty. But it was kind of like, oh, that's normal. But then at that age when I saw a lot of the other girls just liking boys or chasing boys or all of that, that was never me. I never had a thing of like, I just want to chase him because he's cute. It's like more like I want to chase you because you're <laughs> cute. Um, but I had those moments and I really had to suppress them. A lot of just like, I can't play with the little girls we can't hug we can't do this or do that whatever it was but it was those moments of looking at another female classmate and being like oh she's really pretty oh what is that feeling that that's because I don't get the same feelings for the guys and that was a moment and I was just like I suppressed it and once I went to the fifth grade I hit that growth spurt and I was like five five I was the biggest person in our grade and then I changed and I started wearing the baggy pants and the big clothes because I didn't definitely didn't like my body and just growing up and I was like okay so I can't be gay and ugly it was just so many layers so many things and um but the clarity definitely came when I saw that one female class and I was just like <laughs> oh she's pretty um yeah <laughs> we're talking with Natasha Minto author of Naked uh, new book of poetry mm-hmm. just released in February and you're listening to preference what um, if I can ask what role does faith play in your life now so I think I would say I'm a spiritual person so that that faith that was laid by my grandparents is like still laid I don't practice any religion I don't go to church I don't do any of that but I feel like the foundation that they laid for me of just keep going and keep seeking and now if I say seeking I'm definitely asking for help from my ancestors and I feel like my grandmother is with me and I mention her a lot is because she has passed away my grandfather is still alive and I'll call him and talk to him but I do I do call upon my ancestors and you know all the ones I haven't met and all of this I'm just like I need you 
and I need you to come with me and I need you to stand with me whenever I'm performing my shows or something big is happening. I'm like, I just, I need you. I just need to feel surrounded right now. So I think that's how like faith has a big part in my life. Are there um, poets you look to for inspiration? Or writers in general? Performers in general? <laughs> who who has helped you um, shape naked in particular as a as a piece of piece of art as a body of work? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, we definitely know Maya Angelou um, and Nikki Giovanni, and it was just I can tell you right now I was on a road trip. And I was listening to her and I listened to all her YouTube videos and I read her books and I was like, I love her voice. I love the way she speaks. I love the way she gives her poetry and it's just like so cool and she just rocks with it. And I'm like, I love everything about it. Um, but there's just a lot of people that my brain can't even name right now that really help inspire this and bring it together. Um, but I do want to give a big shout out to Lydia Yuknovich because the front part of it, the consent form, um, she read it and she just told me how beautiful it was and everything she thought about it. And I mean, she read the whole book, but it's just like that one piece where I was like, yes, I need to know that like this is good and that it's not crazy that I want to do this. And she was like, no, like that's perfect. And I was like, thank you. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. So a lot of artists have really just helped shape, you know, how it was put together and the voice of it. Like one piece in here, he walks us in. The first time I performed it was at Insight. And to receive that from them and the, the standing ovation and just people coming up to me afterwards. And I was like, okay, so this is how I want to like perform this piece, just equally as calm as I am now and talking about it. Like I don't have to give that extra effort into it. And that was really important for me to get that feedback so that when it went into the book, it was just like, okay. This is how it's going to flow on paper as well. It reminds me that there's a book at the library. It's um, the transcript of, an, of uh, a, an exchange between Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating to listen to them uh, give really gen different generational and gendered takes. Um, so it's worth, <laughs> it's <laughs> worth digging up. Uh, it's the Killingsworth Library. Did you get a chance to go to AWP, the I Writers' did. Conference? Mm -hmm. um, how did you find that? Overwhelming. Yeah, <laughs> in <a> short. <laughs> um, but it was overwhelming. But I definitely think I paced myself a lot throughout of it. Um, I went to some amazing panels um, and just got to meet and greet with a lot of other artists and upcoming artists. I got to hear some spoken words, some slam poets. I have so much respect for slam poets um, and spoken word poets. Like that's, it's all in my heart. And so I got to hear that and also got to speak on a panel. So I was just like, oh, this is my first year doing this and got to do some book signings. So it was amazing. Got to just meet a lot of people, but definitely overwhelming, <laughs> <laughs> especially for an introvert like me. So what was the panel that you participated in? Uh, put me on the spot and I forget the name of the panel that I participated in <laughs> cannot think of it right off the top of my head doesn't have to be the title maybe just the topic in the sense of it oh we talked about how um, including real people into our work and like how that affected it and so it was, it was beautiful to be on the panel um, and hearing the different stance that the individuals had that I was with and the main thing that I talked about was just like in my book there's only one one title that has like a name to it and the rest of it don't and that's just because I didn't want to give power to any of that and I wanted that particular piece to have power because it's one of my best friends who passed away and every time I say his name it's just very powerful to me so that panel was talking about like you know um, the logistics behind it you you want to write somebody name in you just better be very careful about that and you know if what you're talking about is not on record 
then that's also another, that's just a violation because you can't write about someone that has done something but is not written in law that they've done it. And so, um, and also about how it affected our relationships. And I had to, you know, I spoke on that too of just, when I first read Mother May I to my mom, um, and she told me she loved it, I know she loved it. But then after that, like we didn't talk for a while. And there's just the the consequences pretty much of what you have to deal with when you're writing about other people. So it was a beautiful panel. It was mm. packed out. The room was entirely packed. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. Are you are you um planning the tour with Naked at all? Is it on the on the horizon? Well, I I haven't set up anything, but I would definitely be open if I had an <laughs> assistant to set up some things, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I would love to go visit other places, honestly, and just read and put myself out there and let other people hear my voices, but I haven't set up anything. Okay. Are you working on anything new? Anything? Well, I, that's, I'm sure you are. <laughs> Do you have... <laughs> What are you working on? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I do have a lot of other poetry that I also have written, and I think I want to possibly do another collection with that one. I think the title will be The Spectrum of the Heart, and it's just about mm. love and compassion and connection and how those different things flow between relationships and friendships and stuff. And so that's one piece that I'm working on, but I feel like the main thing that my focus is on is my ice cream series. And that's because I started that back in 2016. And um, it's an acronym and I is for I am. And so you boldly state who you are. And for me, that was a big thing. You know, it was hard for me to say like, I am beautiful, I am intelligent, I am loved, you know, I am queer and I am black. That those little things, it was just super hard for me to say, and I'm looking at myself. And so the I for that is just stating it boldly and reassuring myself that this is who I am, and I am who I say that I am, and I'm going to walk in it. And the first C is to create your environment. And I really seen from how I went from South Georgia and getting in trouble and just being that person in that environment until when I went to college and I moved out and I started changing like oh I don't have to be bad and I don't have to cuss my teachers out and everyone else like I can be an adult some way you know <laughs> like not even adult but I can not have this attitude I can change my attitude and change my perspective and I can be open-minded um but that's because my environments change so like creating the type of environment I want to be around and then the people I want to be around and the first E is empowerment I am all about empowering others and I just keep looking back and I realize like that's what it took for me throughout my life of those empower me those people who really saw it in me when I didn't see it in myself they're like you're going to be something you're going to be okay like my coach coach Hankison shout out to you back in sixth grade she's just like all right you get in trouble but you come to practice, you're gonna run suicide, you're still on the team, I'm not kicking you off. And I'm like, ah, just kick me off the team. Um, but when people see something in you and they're constantly encouraging you and empowering you to be your better, your best self, and that's what I wanna infiltrate into this one. And then the second C is to be centered with harmony. And I have it like that is because I think we always like, I wanna be centered, I wanna be right here, I wanna be balanced. But then we forget to add that life can throw you some chickens in with your ducks and then how do you handle that? And so having that yin and yang, that flow, always having a flow regardless of where you're at and not just staying stuck in that one place because something happened. But how can I move through this? What can I learn from this? And the R is for restoration and it's to restore yourself and relationships. And I'm not talking about bad relationships that are very harmful and negative. I'm saying relationships that your intuition and yourself is saying, we need to work on this. And that was important for me with my mom, with my family, with my friendships, me not running away because I could, I'm definitely a runner sometimes. And I was like, I need to work on this. And so restoration was all about how can I restore those really positive parts of this relationship? And then the second E is just to enjoy life. And I know it sounds super simple, but it's just, 
All I know is how to survive. That's all I know is how to survive. I know how to survive. By any means, I know how to survive. But how do I go from surviving to thriving? How do I go from this young girl that knows how to hustle and get food by any means and live in her car for a while and be homeless? How do I go from that to now you're thriving? You have your own place. You can enjoy life. Your brain can switch. And that piece of it really talks about slowing down and enjoying every little moment that's happening um and then the a is to aim higher and that's talking about me not ever seeing anyone be successful or what I would call successful not coming out of the projects or the hood that I came from and I've never seen anyone write a book (laughs) you know and I just realized we didn't have a book shelf in our house it's just those little things and so how do I aim for something I've never seen how do I try to be something I've never seen and I talk about that of continuously just going and failing failing many times but failure for me does lead to small steps to success and that's how I view it and then the last part of the acronym is just make room for success and it's whatever success means to you and for me that was definitely having a peace of mind and being like okay I got this And I'm going to just keep going. And along the way, I'm going to help everyone else that I can because that's my mission is to empower, encourage, and inspire others to be their best selves and helping them along the way. So that's (laughs) (laughs) the bigger project that I'm working on. And what what shape, what form is the ice cream project taking? I'm I'm not really sure right now, but I know I want it to be three books. And I know I want to have the ice cream as the first book and toppings come first as a second book and the toppings come first would be talking about acknowledging those positive moments that happen in your life because sometimes we do really linger on the negative stuff all the time but it's like okay well what about that positive thing that happened what about that good thing that happened in your life and it doesn't have to be something big but just any small little thing and then the last part of the series would be um don't let it melt the art of staying And that talks about me not running and really, you know, honing those aspects of my life that I know I could be very successful at and not being afraid to be successful. Are you doing any, are you, are you doing any readings here in town uh, from Naked? I am. I've been to a lot of places reading. Mm -hmm. Um, Coming up, I'm reading... May 17th and May 19th at a few different places. It's going to look on my calendar there. Do you have a site folks can track your work at? If they would like, they could definitely go on my Instagram and Facebook and um, post all the time okay. about where I'll be reading at next. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. It's been uh, It's been such a pleasure to spend this time with you, Natasha. You. Um, we're gonna we're gonna hear a little spacer in a moment. The book is Naked, Nastasia Minto. Uh, you can find it at Powell's. So head over there or order online at Powell's, and uh, dig into a really great book. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. So let's um let's hear spacer. And we're gonna come back with Q Doc folks. We're gonna hear about this year's queer documentary film festival
Festival co-directors. Yeah, programmers. Welcome back to Preference. That was Spacer, Sheila and B Devotion, also known as Sheila B and Devotion. If you're uh, if you're a, f- a passionate fan of, <laughs> of that music, which clearly I am. Thanks for being with us on Preference. I'm your host, Hedda. Uh, we have in the studio Molly King and Deb Kemp. They are co-directors <laughs> of yeah. QDoc, Portland's Queer Documentary Film Festival. Welcome. Hello. 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 Thanks for having us. Absolutely. We're, we're coming up on, it looks like, 13 years. 13 yeah. years, yeah. yeah. The yeah. two of you have been working on it for... This is our third year um, that we have been co-directing mm-hmm. and working with the team for six or seven years total, I think, now. Yeah. And uh, this runs. Uh, we'll just we'll just get this out of the way first for folks. May second through fifth. You got you it. You got it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kick off Thursday, May second, and close Sunday, May fifth. All at the Hollywood Theater. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, yeah. Let's dig into what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, well, you know, we've got we're really pretty excited. We've got fifteen films lined up for this year. Um, four. Um, are going to be screening in a shorts program. It's our first year we've had a shorts program, which is exciting. And then the rest are feature length. Um, we've got uh, an incredible array of, of um, different subjects that we'll be touching on. Um, some extremely topical at the moment, which has is, is very interesting and um, very handy in lots of ways. Um, and just a nice mix of of gay, queer, trans, lesbian, um, lesbian documentaries. Um, so yeah. We've got a few favorites. Everything's looking pretty good. Really quickly, how what, when you when you say queer, what, what comes to mind? How do you define queer? Yeah, no, that's a good question. <laughs> well, you always give us the hard question right at the beginning. <laughs> um, you know, I think you know from a definition perspective, it's it's all encompassing and and such a comfortable word in which to um, to feel an identity to not have to define exactly what part of your LGBTQ plus identity you want to um, you know further tune in on. So you know for us, queers a really nice broad way to describe the entire community and and its allies as well. Anyone can be queer, straight, gay, trans. Um, so yeah, that's what it means to me. Thank you. I would yeah I would. I would echo the same. I think that uh, the term queer hasn't hasn't always been um, something that that maybe we've been comfortable owning, and now um, that term, certainly from a festival standpoint, is is a term that that we um, embrace and own and and are and identify as. So, what does it mean to you? No one has ever thrown that question back to me in all these years. Mm, I like it. Good. <laughs> it's true. I've probably asked that a hundred times on the show. Um, that's great. I, 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 I think I uh, picked, you know, I absorbed um, the idea of queer in the 90s. I think of it as a political yeah. um, orientation mm. rather than anything to do with what I might or might not do <laughs> with other people. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think that's really where it stands for me. Uh, and it's it's not a it's not so much a label as it is an an action mm-hmm. or a, or mm-hmm. a practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. Yeah, queerness is something that I that I I do. I live out. I enact. Practice. Yeah. Um, so it has to. Ha- I think for me, it has to have some intentionality. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Same. <laughs> oh, I might steal it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're we're really excited about this year. We've um, have nine female directed films, um, nine West Coast premieres, three U.S. Uh, premieres, and a world premiere. And as you know, such an important part of of QDoc is having. Uh, the Q and A's after each of the films, mm-hmm. and we're very excited to welcome seventeen different folks from from all over, from as far away as as Manchester, um, and and all across the country, coming to join us for those conversations. So we're looking forward to a really special weekend. Yeah. 
What does opening night look like? May 2nd. Mm, yeah, it looks it looks pretty great. I mean, we've got an incredible film called um, Gay Chorus Deep South, uh, which follows the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus Tour of the Southern States um, and their performances and their interactions um, you know, with, with audiences there. So uh, we have subjects coming up from San Francisco and we're, we're also excited to have a lot of our Portland Gay Men's Chorus mm. uh, joining us for the for the screening um so yeah it's it's a beautifully shot film full of hope and joy and and beautiful singing of course um but it really raises some some great questions around the division between you know different different peeps in different parts of the country at the moment um but yeah it's a it's a really positive tale i think yeah yeah that's a good summary (laughs) indeed yeah the the san francisco gay men's course went went on the lavender pen tour um to challenge the the different political and religious oppression through the joy of song and uh this this documents that that journey and i think folks are in for a really a really beautiful and and um and despite some of the topics that are covered hopeful film yeah totally so that's kicking us off, and then on Friday we we kick off with a, um, a really interesting film called X Y Chelsea that's about Chelsea Manning, and it's actually focused on um, the time in which she has been or was released from prison um, after being obviously convicted um, of espionage in the Espionage Act in 2013. Um, of course, since the release of this film, she's ended up back in in prison. And just yesterday, um, the fourth court, fifth, fourth circuit court of appeals ruled to keep Chelsea Manning um, incarcerated. So, it's a really, um, it's a very interesting film. It, it really talks more to um, you know how she felt about what she did post um, post incarceration and. And then what it meant to be a trans person in prison, and how she dealt with that, and then what you know what the rest of her life was going to look like. Of course, the film had had to be edited two weeks ago, thanks to uh, Julian Assange's arrest and her her arrest, and so the film was literally being tweaked last week, um, the end of it. So we're we're really honoured. We've got the ACLU are, are very keen to be a part of this discussion post film, and and they are going to be leading a Q and A um, to talk about you know what it means to be a trans person incarcerated, and and particularly what happened. You know, in Chelsea Manning's case, mm-hmm. yep. So that'd be interesting. And then immediately following uh, X Y Chelsea on Friday, May third, we have a film called Deep in Vogue making its U.S. premiere, and it's a really colorful and fun um, and compelling look into Manchester's Vogue ball scene and how that took its inspiration from the New York Vogue scene um, and celebrates some of the, the, uh, the different houses um, in Manchester and what, what that looks like. And it's, um, it's a beautifully, and again, another beautifully shot film and also a look into to, uh, maybe something that, that hasn't been seen on the screen before in particular. And then a uh, question for you. Did you see Nightmare on Elm Street 2? Did you ever see that film? By the chance, are you a horror fan? I, I have to admit, they all sort of run together in yeah. my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're all... I don't, like, uh, I don't like watching violence. Yeah. So it's, I don't, it's hard for me to differentiate one bloody slaughter from another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perhaps maybe the gayest bloody slaughter. Did you <laughs> ever hear of that? <laughs> okay, so well, basically um, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was was always sort of portrayed as one of the gayest horror films um, ever made and um, we have a film Friday night at 9.45 called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street and it's actually a documentary following um, Mark Patton's life post film and the debate as to whether the film outed her or whether he um, and his um, his maybe gay characteristics came through in the film and outed himself. So basically this documentary is a really interesting look into how this effectively ruined this film, ended up in Mark's mind ruining his life and leading him to be forced out of the closet um, in the 80s in, in Hollywood. Um, and the film really challenges, um, you know, the director is challenging Mark and Mark is challenging the director on, on who made it this gay film and whose fault is it. Um, we're, we're stoked. We're going to have Mark Patton coming in as well as two of the directors. So 
um, yeah, so if you've seen Nightmare on Elm Street 2 um, or you're into horror film, it's, it's definitely, it's a new one. It's a new um, avenue for us and, and we're, we're pretty stoked about it. Is Anthony Hudson going to drop in on that show? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, fingers crossed that scheduling can work out, but I believe yeah. that um, Anthony has another obligation. So yeah, um, we're bummed. But yes, I mean, Anthony obviously has done so much for the queer horror community here in Portland yeah. um, and, and is actually friends with Mark. And so, yeah, fingers, fingers crossed scheduling can work out. All right, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Um, should I tell you some more? Yeah, please. Okay, great. Um, you know, we have a, a fabulous film called Seahorse, and um, the director is a fairly famous director, uh, Jenny Finley. Um, she's actually just finished uh, a year on set with Game of Thrones, and she's the official uh, documentary uh, director for the Game of Thrones, which will be coming out. That is not what we're screening at QDoc, but um, she has also made this beautiful film called Seahorse that follows a trans uh, man's path to parenthood and pregnancy. Um, that'll be screening on Saturday at 3.30. Um, it's it's gorgeously shot. It's extremely interesting. Um, so, yeah, so make sure you see that. And Jenny will also be here to talk about Seahorse, and I'm sure there'll be some Game of Thrones questions <laughs> <laughs> thrown her way as well. <laughs> Reminder, that's May. That's Saturday, May 4th at the Hollywood Theatre. Yeah, you got um, it. Quickly, Game of, and quickly, quickly, Game of Thrones predictions. Oh, I know we talked about this last night. Who was going to end up, and while well, we were debating between us, who was going to end up being the ruler? I th- yeah, yeah, well, I, I you mean, picked wh- Arya. I, I, I can't remember who I picked, but I, I want, I, I don't know what's going to happen between Jon Snow and um, and Danny. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. I um, say Cersei forever. <laughs> oh, I think you're, I think you're in the minimum on that one, aren't you? In the minority. I I want Cersei to become the Night Queen. Oh, and rule it all. all yeah. you do, buddy. That's what I'm at. I think she's going to do it. Absolutely. Maybe we can ask Jeannie. She'll know. <laughs> Come along and ask her. <laughs> awesome. Um, just just prior to Seahorse um, on Saturday, May fourth at one. We have a lovely film called Circus of Books, and it's making its West Coast premiere. It's coming straight to us from Tribeca, and it is about this unlikely couple, this straight Jewish couple who end up running an adult bookstore uh, in Los Angeles for, and which becomes a a staple of the Los Angeles scene um, for forty plus years, mm-hmm. and. Um, Karen and Barry Mason is their name, and they are joining us, which will be really, um, really fun to have them in, in town for for uh, a Q and A immediately following the film. And their daughter um, made the film, and interestingly enough, um, they there are some queer kids in the family, and so it's some really interesting family dynamics. So that story in itself is intriguing. But so is the story about this adult bookstore that was, you know, Circus of Books that that really was, um, you know, a a landmark, legendary landmark in the L.A. scene for so long. And so there's the conversation around those kind of spaces and, um, and safe spaces and places for people to to gather and, and, and purchase materials. And so, anyway, we're we're really looking forward to that one. <laughs> totally. Um, along the lines of following important trends in U.S. cities, Crystal City is a, a, a great film by um, Terence Crawford. Um, it's about basically the second epidemic that the the gay community is facing, particularly in um, metro U.S. cities of um, crystal meth addiction. Um, you know the stats that. Are, are quoted in that film at one in four gay men in New York City uh, uses meth and this film is really focused on you know what what are we going to do and to help this community and why is this happening and then at the same time follows really interesting subjects as they fight their way through their addictions and, and find uh, you know 
more joy from other sources um, such as song or friendship or community um, and so Terence is, is going to be joining us to talk about that and I think that's a really important topic for all of us to really understand that crystal meth you know it walk, it's prevalent in all walks of society and, and obviously all socioeconomic groups and so this film really dives pretty deep into some of the subjects and some of those issues it's, it's an interesting watch um, so that's going to be screening at 8.45 on Saturday May 4th we're talking with Molly King and Deb Kemp, co-directors of Q Doctor, Portland Queer Documentary Film Festival, uh, happening May 2nd through the 5th at Hollywood Theatre. Uh, what's a website that folks can Yeah, uh, org. Okay. Yeah. QDocFilmFest.org. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. You can get tickets there. I think we've got a few left for opening night. There's not many. So, um, yeah, if you want to see Gay Chorus Deep South, jump online quick. All right. Yeah. What What else is coming up? It looks like we've got The Fruit Machine. Yes. Yeah, The Fruit Machine, Saturday, May 4th at 6.15, making its U.S. premiere, um, nominated for a Canadian Screen Award for Best Documentary. Uh, the Fruit Machine details the Canadian government's systematic attempts to purge its armed services of gay folks during the hysteria that ran from the beginning of the Cold War through the 80s. And it's uh, d- directed by uh, Sarah Foti. And she made a really, um, a really well done documentary on a not, <laughs> on a not very fun topic, but it's um, a very important one. And both Sarah Foti and one of the subjects, Michelle Douglas, uh, are joining us for um, a conversation immediately following the film, and, and it's going to be a very powerful conversation. Mm, totally. I guess I better talk about the Aussies, even though I'm not one. <laughs> <laughs> but they do have a really cool film. Um, so we're going to be screening a gorgeous film called The Coming Back Out Ball on Sunday at noon. And um, it's about, um, it's actually set right when Australia was going through its gay marriage debate. Um, so pre, pre-ruling pre on that. And it's about um, the city of Melbourne and, and a key group within that um, creating a special event for its gay elders in which to um, to celebrate their, their identity and their sexuality. Um, and it's a fantastic, huge performance extravaganza of a ball where all of the elders of the community are invited um, for free to to come and celebrate their who they are and and what they believe in. Um, so as a you know, it's an interesting topic because many of the films we saw this year were focused on on aging and how it is going to be different or is it going to be different for for our queer community um, as they go through retirement years and what is it going to mean and so this film this film really focuses on is one of the films that focuses on that new that new question that we're all starting to ask ourselves yeah yeah and along along those lines actually um, going that goes into our our shorts program um, where we have we have four shorts and one of the shorts in our shorts program is called a great ride it's making its Oregon premiere and it it too is a is a celebration of our gay elders, and it it takes a look at uh, some older lesbians, including um, the legendary Sally Gerhart, who worked alongside Harvey Milk, um, and Brenda Crawford, and several other um, women living in an LGBTQ friendly community in Santa Rosa, California, and it is a really fun uh, dynamic zest yes yeah, sassy. sassy look at yeah. uh, at aging lesbians oh. and that's um that's one of the four films and then uh, in addition we have uh dress up like missed out fire which is a lovely little short little six minute film from will zhang and will zhang you might remember from uh who worked on uh the untailed tolls of armistead Maupin, which opened our fest a couple years ago um and it's a uh, Basically takes a look at 1992's Mrs. Doubtfire as one of the first family-friendly films to include drag. And that'll make its world premiere at QDoc. And uh, another film in the in the Q Shorts program is Mac Russell's, which is a look at a really gifted wrestler, Mac Beggs, and uh, the stigmatism that goes uh, along with transgender athletes. And another film, Invisible Women, making its US premiere, which is about some lesbian pioneers in England who formed uh, the GLF and uh, 
put women's rights on the agenda. So that's going to be a, a fun program. Yeah, it's good. All right. Perfect. Um, so one thing, you know, we want to make sure one film, if you are going are gonna to be able to join us for QDoc, a, a wonderful film would be to make sure you make a closing night film. It's called um, For They Know Not What They Do. And um, the film is, is basically about, you know, echoing where we start the festival and looking at the divisions um, between... Uh, different states and um, different beliefs within the US this film really is focused on those that are fairly uh, fairly devout Christians and how they handle or are unable to handle having LGBTQ children um, so it follows four families and it's it really dives deep into you know some of the some of the religious rhetoric that we've heard a lot more of in the last couple of years um, and what it means for families to to have to um, to have to manage their own beliefs versus the, the the identities of their children and and how they've done so um, in in good and and in sad, very sad and tragic ways as well. So if you're um, at all interested in in in, in that topic and, and finding out what it, how it feels for someone to be very devout um, in their beliefs and then to have to struggle with um, the identity of, of their child then then come to that film we have two subjects who um, who I would say are, are fairly devout Christians um, whose child uh, is one of the subjects in this film who are going to be joining us from Seattle that Q&A will be very uh, very thought provoking and very very warm so yeah we'll be looking forward to that and uh, this week's news about the Supreme Court I'm not going to go into the details but mm. it's a reminder uh, that work at a state level is uh, needs to continue. Yeah, you know, all that's of, right. Uh, many of the things that we take for granted, so to speak, at a national level, uh, we never really f- went back and filled in the gaps yeah. at uh, at the state level, and we're gonna we're gonna need to um, go back and look at that. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. exactly right. But to finish it on a light note. I want to talk about Cassandro. Yeah, you bet. Uh, on Sunday, May 5th at 4.30, we have Cassandro the Exotico. It's making its West Coast premiere, and Cassandro the Exotico is known as the Liberace de Lucha Libre mm-hmm. as a Mexican professional wrestler, and he is known for his outrageous gender presentation and equally spectacular wrestling moves. And... Uh, it's a beautifully shot film. Uh, it's on 16 millimeter. Um, Marie Lozier, who some folks out there might know from the Ballad of Genesis and Lady J, um, followed Cassandra around for f- five five years, and um, and along with the topic of of aging, uh, it goes into you know not only what it's like to be a gay Mexican wrestler, but also coming to terms with uh, with getting older in that profession. And Cassandro is joining us. Wonderful. Deb, Molly, thanks so much for being here. QDoc. Yes. Come see us. QDoc. QDocfilmfest.org. Look it up. Come get some tickets. Yeah, yeah. May May 2nd through the 5th. You got it. You got it. Thanks. Calculated conversation coming up next. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah. Discovery of wealth. Discovery of health. Discovery of self. Discovery of health. Discovery of wealth, discovery of self, discovery of wealth, discovery of health, discovery of self.
of self, discovery of wealth, discovery of health, discovery of self, discovery of health, discovery of wealth, discovery of self, discovery of wealth, discovery of health, discovery of self. I brushed it off, let it go, let it flow. I brushed it off, let it flow, let it roll. I brushed it off, let it go, let it roll. Let the universe know that I seek control. I brushed it off, let it go. You're listening to KBOO, KBOO Portland, 90.7 FM. Next up is Calculated Conversation with David and Can. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of the Greenfield Peace Writing Scholarship Awards Ceremony on Friday, April 26th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Celebration Tabernacle Church in Portland. The Greenfield Peace Writing Scholarship Award Ceremony features the 2019 high school student winners of the Greenfield Peace Writing Scholarship and keynote speaker, Dr. Brian Gibbs, Vice President for the Equity and Inclusion at Oregon Health and Science University. This year's scholarship question was, how can you work against systemic racism to help make our world more healthy? Again, that's the Greenfield Peace Writing Scholarship Award Ceremony on Friday, April 26th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Celebration Tabernacle Church, 8131 North Denver Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. Cape was looked up to very much by people all over the country. Please join us on Saturday, April 27th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. for the KBOO.